0: The only movie that I liked Nicolas Cage in was Face Off, and that's because he was John Travolta.
1: Face Off, uh, The Rock, and Con Air are all very good movies. But they can be good movies while he's not a good actor. That's fine, but he's not the worst actor, was was my point. He's not the Roberto Aguayo of movies. Can we, uh, can we do the show now? I'll think about it.
0: Coming up! On today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we answer some of your voicemails regarding the Buccaneers loss to the Saints.
1: You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the
2: Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit
3: the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your
0: face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome back to the Locked on Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Today's show brought to you in part by DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. Listening on the go, if you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Mm -hmm. I could go for some DoorDash right now.
1: DoorDash isn't allowed in my installation.
0: That is very true, but once you move out of that installation, you're going to use the crap out of some Doordash. Re- Before we move on to the sadness, we'll we'll just we'll talk about Doordash for a second because <laughs> I I remember the first time my my wife used that, and I can't remember what restaurant she got, and I'm like, wait, they deliver? And she's like, oh, it's this thing called Doordash, and I'm like, wow, we've reached the level where people can't even drive to the restaurant and pick up their food; that it has to be delivered, and um, since then I have used the ever loving crap out of
1: DoorDash <laughs> like so much, you know, way more than a person the, should. Everything the you're making fun of other people for using.
0: Well, no, I made fun of it when I first heard about it. Then I started using it for the convenience factor. And I, I think the amount of money I've spent in DoorDash fees, I could have bought a, a nice steak dinner at Ruth's Chris. Yikes.
1: Yeah. It's just so handy. Yeah, no, I I greatly appreciate it when I'm on the road, which is a lot. Yeah, that is true. So anyway,
0: we're here to talk about the Buccaneers. Not that anybody wants to hear about the Buccaneers because they're not good.
1: But but they are handy. Colors.
0: They are <laughs> no, they're not that either. Well, especially
1: not OJ Howard. But oh man, I just meant they're really easy to access. But okay, but That was good yeah
0: anyway uh we do have some some voicemails that we are going to get to i'm sure the overall theme of this episode is going to be um frustration and negativity but that's what a three and seven football team breeds and by the way david Mm -hmm. do you happen to see on twitter today you you mentioned on yesterday's episode how the falcons have kind of put it together defensively the last two games really stepped their game up two big divisional wins did you see What happened with the Falcons after week eight and how this defense all of a sudden kind of started to get better? No, they moved Raheem Morris over to become the defensive backs coach.
1: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he's a defensive guy. I don't know why he was a wide receivers coach. That's kind of weird.
0: Yeah, he's been a wide receivers coach the past couple of years, so they move him over to be the DB coach, yeah. and all of a sudden, in in the two games where he's been the DB coach, they have allowed less than 10 points per game. Is that a coincidence? Maybe,
1: but something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, Raheem, like, for, for all the faults that Raheem Moore has had, nobody ever... Well, I wouldn't say it will be a question of his preparedness, but, I mean, he's a smart football dude. Like, you know what I mean? Um, the dude knows football. I mean, I, I, I obviously I don't pay attention to the Falcons as closely as as I would if I covered them or if we covered them, but I wasn't aware he was their wide receivers coach. I knew he was on their staff, but, uh, yeah, his, his strength, as far as I know, is defense, so it, it makes some sense, you know?
0: Yeah, well, and it, it was a case for the Buccaneers of a guy – being 32 years old and thrust into a position he was not ready for. You know, he went from being promoted to defensive coordinator to promoted to head coach in the matter of like a week. And he's still the last
1: coach that the Bucs had to get them to 10 wins. Right. And I mean, not for nothing, but a lot of people talk about like Sean McVay and stuff. And let's remember that uh, the Los Angeles Rams shipped out quite a few veteran players who were known for not taking people's crap. So, I'm not saying there was stuff going on behind the scenes, but, you know, I mean, if you have a young coach and you've got some veteran players or you've got some young players that don't really respect him because of his lack of, you know, experience, you know, compared to some other guys in the league, and teams start struggling, you know, when when you're winning, everything is easy. And for the Rams this season, you know, there's some struggles. Their star running back and wasn't producing and so on and so forth, and the defense have to pick up more. And, you know, perhaps there were some – uh, some some situations boiling beneath the surface that the franchise decided, you know what, just cut it before it turns into something really bad. And uh, they did so. And I don't know. I feel like it's a little weird to be sending your two starting cornerbacks to other player or other teams having come off come off Super Bowl season. Typically, you don't do that coming off of a Super Bowl year. Typically, you're trying to get back to that Super Bowl um and training your two top corners isn't usually a move that's going to get you back to the big game so just something to think about and uh styles talked about it you know when he was on with us that uh you know they hired this really young coach and then they had a bunch of really young players and a bunch of really young players were doing a lot of young guy things with this really young coach and they were getting away with it everybody was surprised so i don't think it was an issue of raheem morris's football iq it was just probably a matter of too early in his career and not enough veteran leadership on there to make sure that their head coach was respected, uh, for his title. And yeah, just, just not a good situation. So.
0: Yeah. We, we all have to try to remember that even though Sean McVay is that, that new hotness, he is the exception, not the rule as far as, uh, youth and experience at the head coaching position. But anyway, David, let's go ahead and jump over to some of these voicemails. I know you said we had a lot. We're going to try to, we're going to try to knock as many of them out as we can. But uh, we can't do that until we start with the first one. So let's go ahead and uh, and get it started.
2: Hello, guys. It's Earl calling from Tampa. Um, I'm going to go about doing the negatives and the positives. The positives was uh, White looked good. He made a lot of tackles. He's showing that he's growing more, more as a rookie. Um, Chris Godwin, he looked like a beast, as usual. Um what else? Uh, the uniforms. Hey, I like the uniforms. Um, Nice crowd, even though more Saints. Matt Gay showing that he's a, the best kicker we had in years. The negatives. Here we go. Damon Winston, turnovers. Mike Evans not being consistent as a receiver. We don't have a third down. We don't have a third receiver in the slot. Nowhere. O.J. Howell looking like another Jason Light bust. Bad play calling by Leftwich. Why Bruce Arians keep on having him calling plays? I don't know. The secondary is still young, and I was trying to wonder why Jamel Dean, why he didn't play as much as he did last game, why he didn't play this game? What was the what was the answer? I know he gave a question about he was man to man and not zone or whatever the case may be. It's just all the way bad way around. That's all right, guys. Um, like I said, first time caller. Love y'all, podcast as usual. Go Bucks. All right. Thank
0: you very much for the call. It's much appreciated. Glad, uh, you know, glad you made your first introduction to the show. And, and we hope to hear from you again. Look, I I, I agree with a lot of your uh, a lot of your positives and negatives. Mike Evans, he had a rough game. Byron Leftwich, I ripped him up and down on Bucks Nation uh, yesterday. David, here here's the thing. You and I, you know, we we. We've defended players in the past. We've been accused of being Gerald McCoy apologists. We've been accused over the same show or articles on Bucks Nation of being Jameis hate- haters and Jameis apologists over mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. People seeing it different ways. Ultimately, what we like to do is be as honest as we can. And here's my honest take Jameis ain't it. Now, does that mean I'm going to be pounding the table for the Buccaneers to sign or or to draft a quarterback in the first round of the 2020 draft? No, because as you and I talked about yesterday you, and, and a few weeks ago and and numerous times, a rookie quarterback coming in playing behind this offensive line, you're going to get the same results.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, a quarterback is not going to come in and fix and, and fix this. Am I going to be upset if Jameis Winston returns? No, I'm not. I like Jameis. I think he makes some boneheaded decisions. I think he makes some terrible, terrible turnovers at at costly times. But overall, I don't really have a problem with Jameis. But Jameis Winston is not leading this team to a championship. Not now. Not next year. Not in the next five years he's just he's not it and and that's that's the point that i've reached i like him i think he's serviceable i think he is a starter in this league but andy dalton was a starter he ain't it you know i don't i don't think baker mayfield is the kind of starter that's going to win a super bowl. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is a starter that's going to win a super bowl. Those are not the kind of quarterbacks that are going to put the team on their back and lead you to a title. That doesn't mean they're not starting caliber. It means they need a top-tier, elite-level team around them in order to succeed. And and somebody Great. made the argument which I totally understand. You draft that first-round quarterback now you have that money that you would have invested in Jameis Winston to invest in help along the offensive line. That makes total sense. Now you have that, the Rams model and the Eagles model and the Seahawks model of cheap, cost-controlled, low-priced quarterback that you can then spend money elsewhere to build around. And mm-hmm. it worked for those teams. It did. Paying Jameis Winston thirty million dollars a year or twenty six million dollars a year, whatever it is, that's not going to help this team, and that's the point that I've reached. and And I wish I I hope I'm wrong, and I wish I felt differently, but the state of today's NFL and how much money these quarterbacks make—if you don't have a quarterback that can put the team on his back—you can't afford to pay him that kind of money. Lamar Jackson is going to get that kind of money because we've watched him do it now. Deshaun Watson is going to get that kind of money. Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. Those are the guys that get that kind of money because they can do that. When the team has to be placed on Jameis Winston's back, that pressure causes him to crumble. And I hate that that's the reality that we are in now, but that is the reality that we are in. We are five years into his career, and I understand the parallels now. Between Jameis Winston you know, in his first year under Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer in his first year with Bruce Arians, and that's a, a quarterback that almost got to the Super Bowl, just ran into a buzzsaw that was Carolina. But Carson Palmer was a better quarterback than Jameis Winston. Carson Palmer was a smarter quarterback than Jameis Winston. Jameis, no matter how long he plays under Bruce, is not going to be as good as Carson Palmer was under Bruce. And we said over and over if Bruce Arians can't fix Jameis, nobody can. And I still think Jameis can improve under Bruce, but he's not going to improve to the level that this team needs to get to the postseason or get to a championship with the price tag that he will cost. He it, it ultimately at this point in time, it's best for both sides to move on. It's best for the Bucks to have a new start. It's best for Jameis to get away from from this fan base and, and this team and get a fresh start somewhere else too. Again, if Jameis comes back, I'm not going to be on here complaining. But I, I said on yesterday's show, I have thoughts on Jameis. I wanted to sleep on it. I slept on it. I came to the same conclusion. He's not taking this team where they need to go. No matter how much time we give him, no matter what coaching staff you put around him, Jameis ain't it. Again, I hope three years from now I eat Crow, but he's not that guy.
1: I think part of the problem is that in order to succeed with a first year or not a first year, a first contract quarterback, you have to have a team around them. There is no for I mean you have to have a team around every quarterback, but there's no first contract quarterback that can win without a team Around them, and uh james we've we've had this conversation. The very first article I wrote about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was about how they needed to bypass drafting a quarterback at number one, trade back, let Mike Glennon start for at least a year, see how it goes, and build a team that could support a potential future rookie quarterback, because number one overall picks very rarely. Turn into what people want them to be. All right. Let's let's go down the list here. Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Jadavian Clowney, Eric Fisher, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Sam Bradford, Matthew Stafford, Jake Long, Jamarcus Russell, Mario Williams, Alex Smith, Eli Manning. You have to go back fifteen number one overall picks before you find a Super Bowl champion. Yep. And of those 15 Super Bowl or first number one overall picks, they have a combined 31 Pro Bowls between the 15 of them, which is barely over two per. Jameis has one of those. All right. You're not going to get when you draft a player number one overall, people expect that you're drafting a franchise corner piece or a cornerstone that is going to help take you to a Super Bowl eventually, even though you're you're literally the worst team. I mean, some of them weren't the worst team. Some of them traded up. Got it, but you're literally the worst team. where you, you, you are. I mean, if you paid for that number one overall pick, unless you're Mike Ditka, you didn't pay. You know that way. You're still, you're still starting off pretty high in in the NFL draft, and that's that's the expectation that comes with it. And that, and I remember writing it. I, if I could pull it up and share it on Twitter, I would. But that site is now no longer in existence, so it's it's gone. That's basically what I wrote. It was like we're we're taking the worst team in the National Football League and say, hey, here's an idea. Let's throw a young quarterback who likes to hold on to the ball, which was Winston and Mariota, who likes to make plays out of nothing, which was Winston and Mariota, and who has a knack for holding on the ball longer than they should because they think they can make things happen, which was Winston and Mariota. Like, it didn't matter. Those factors were both of them. And the thought process that that's a smart decision is is dumbfounding, and it happens every single year. Like, if you're a team trading up because you're like, Pick number 10, but you're like three points away from winning four or five more games and stuff like that. So you mortgage your future to bring in your quarterback that puts you over the. Okay, got it. But if you're the legit number one overall draft pick, you suck. <laughs> and bringing a rookie quarterback into that situation is very rarely going to work. Like the next one who gets a shot is Kyler Murray, who, yes, has done better than I expected, than you expected, than most people expected. But the Arizona Cardinals are still the Arizona Cardinals. Like when people talk about the NFC West, you're not talking about Arizona. Maybe you will eventually. But if you will eventually, it's going to be because this Arizona Cardinals football team is going to hit on some draft picks. They're going to hit on some free agent moves. And they're going to kind of, I don't want to say luck into it because there's, there's a lot of work that goes behind this. But they're going to have to put a team around. Ky- like Kyler Murray is not going to carry this team into the NFL. Russell or in the Super Bowl. Russell Wilson, I love Russell Wilson to death. And don't get me wrong, Russell Wilson today is the reason the Seahawks are 8 and 2. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson in the Super Bowl was there cuz of the Legion of Boom. Yes. Like he has turned into a quarterback that can carry the Seattle Seahawks with a rebuilt defense, uh a better than expected running game to be honest with you and Tyler Lockett. Russell Wilson is that quarterback that can take your team and put him on your back and take you to the playoffs and make you competitive. He is today. Back then, he was not. He was a quarterback who could make some plays and rely on the defense. That's the quarterback that he was. Tom Brady, in his first rounds was a quarterback that could make some plays and rely on the defense. I'm telling you right now, Jameis Winston could make some plays and rely on a defense. He could. The problem is he doesn't have a defense. The problem is he didn't have a defense when he got here. The problem is he didn't have an offensive line when he got here. And he hasn't gotten one since. So now if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you don't have an offensive line. You don't have a defense. And you're going to re-sign a a quarterback to a second contract, which is going to eat up a huge chunk of your salary cap. And you're going to, I mean, for a team that has struggled so much to find consistently good players through the draft, if they re-sign Jameis Winston – they have to hit in the draft. You have to hit in the draft. You don't have a choice at that point. You can't pay Mike Evans. You can't pay Jameis Winston. You can't keep Donovan Smith, which they're going to keep him at least for next year. The money you don't you they don't have a choice, guys. Like if you have any hopes of Donovan Smith being gone, that's not going to physically that's not going to fiscally happen. Um, I think Demar Dotson is gone. Ryan Jensen, um, uh, he, I think he's close. You know what I mean? He's he's one of those guys very fortunate the season's not over yet. As far as Jameis Winston's concerned, I don't know if the Buccaneers should re sign him because I don't believe Jameis Winston is the biggest part problem in this franchise right now. However, my question is is he the solution? And does it even matter? At this point, does it even matter if Jameis Winston can be an effective quarterback? Because if this team, if this team can't put it, if this franchise can't put a team around him that allows him the opportunity to be a functional quarterback, it doesn't matter what what he's capable of doing. There, there, there's literally. I know uh, you know there have been some people out there who talked about like he held the ball too long. like like every quarterback holds the ball too long here and there. Got. It. But this man was had happy feet. Like this man looked like he was a penguin in a cartoon dancing movie. Like that's that's what he looked like yesterday because he was getting smacked on every single play. He was getting pressure on every single play. One of the interceptions he threw, there was literally a Saints defender flying through the air coming after him. Like it was ridiculous, man. It, it was it was by far one of the worst performances I've ever seen a Buccaneers offensive line put on film, and that's not Jameis Winston. I, I'm not, that's not Jameis Winston's fault. And there's – I don't know what people expect from him. Jude I. J. Barima tweeted it out this morning. This is not Winston's fault. This is not on Jameis. Uh, Cam talked about it where we consistently let Jameis down. Like you guys don't understand, man. Like when when, when Jameis Winston – like when Jameis Winston goes to events or when Jameis Winston – like his teammates genuinely care about him. Like he is genuinely – he genuinely cares about this team. The question has been brought up is does Jameis even want to return to him? but I think he does. I think Jameis Winston will fully stay with this team and go down with the ship every single season because he doesn't want to give up on the franchise that drafted him. I really believe that. Now, third contract, maybe not. <laughs> He's looking a little bit older. I would even say a little bit wiser. You know what I mean? And maybe by then it, things will change. But it's it's going to be hard, man. Because if because when you look at the team that that Jameis Winston joined, and you look at the team that Jameis Winston is in right now. There's not a huge difference in those two teams. And the record shows it. So that's that's part of the problem. But then the other part of the problem is who do you replace them with? You're not getting Teddy Bridgewater for less money. You didn't draft a rookie quarterback. That's don't don't answer that yet. We've got a voicemail about that, which we need to hurry up and get to because we are burning the candle.
0: All right. Well, David, let's go ahead and jump over to uh to the next voicemail then.
3: Uh, this is Darrell, my first-time caller from North Carolina, and uh, one thing I want to say is the Bucks have to pursue a signal caller for our secondary. It's just way too many miscommunications, n- no communication at all. Uh, our offensive line just has to do better. Uh, Jameis was pressured just running for his life all game long. Uh, our play calling has to get better. I mean, there's no way that we just should be running the ball five times and uh our wide receivers couldn't get any separation to help Jameis out to get the ball out of his hands any earlier. Um, I, I, I'm i just lost for words. I mean, I feel like we should be in every game. I mean, there's too much talent on this football team for us not to be. But this secondary, a signal caller to help us out would just be amazing. I, it would just turn this whole defense around.
1: Uh I'd go Bucks. maybe next week. You talk about communication being a key of this defense. Todd Bowles talked about it. Uh, the reason that we were told that they didn't go into a zone against Seattle is because the secondary had been struggling in communication. Well, they went into a zone against New Orleans. So, I kind of wonder, like, okay, well, what happened, you know, in the, in the games between or in the time between that made you suddenly confident and really, man, and I don't mean to get off topic. So, so I'm just to say this real quick. Yes, having a communicator, someone in the secondary who's been there, seen it before, uh, would certainly help this team. Patrick Peterson, like that's that's it. Um, however, they you know they have who they have, and what's what's kind of been bothering me about this Jamel Dean thing, right? Is what Bruce Arians said during the offseason. season. Like he was, you talking about having multiple practices going on at the same time? You know, two practice fields, yada yada yada. Because, and this isn't a direct quote, but it's, I'm paraphrasing, you can't find diamonds in the rough if they're standing on the sidelines, right? They they seem to have Jamel Dean turning a corner. Not I'm not saying he was becoming an all-pro by any means. But they seem to have him turning a corner from where he was to where he could go in his rookie season. And the decision they made was to stand him on the sideline. Like The dude didn't get a single defensive rep. He got 11 special team snaps, no defensive snaps. And I understand his his strength is man coverage. So is Carlton Davis's. So is Sean Murphy Buntings'. Their strengths are man coverage. I mean, are you are you telling me and that's possible, I guess. Like are you telling me that Jamel Dean when in zone coverage literally does nothing but cover grass? Like he do, he just has no clue like he just doesn't have a clue on how to run a zone scheme. What I feel like happened is that this team got burned so much in man coverage against the Saints the first time, that they said, hey, let's try something different this time. And, uh, I mean, I guess it technically worked a little bit better stat-wise, but I don't know, man. Like, You're not going to – again, it just kind of goes along with lines of you're not – you can't figure out if you have diamonds if they're standing on the sideline. Those are your words. Yet this guy who – Last week, and I understand it's the Arizona Cardinals, but last week he was the highest-rated defender in the National Football League, according to PFF. And I know what you think about PFF, but that still means something. He was the highest-rated highest defender in the National Football League, according to PFF. And the week following, he's standing on the sideline. The fifth-rated player on defense, according to PFF, was Marcus Williams of the New Orleans Saints. And you know where he was? On the field, returning a pick-six against James Winston. We talk about accountability. If O.J. Howard isn't your second tight end moving forward, you don't have accountability. Vernon Hargraves burned, I mean, media members and fans alike were talking about Vernon Hargraves burning all his, his accountability chips a couple weeks, few weeks even before he was released. Brashad Perryman, still. Uh, I mean, since coming out of the bye, Brashad Perryman has been outshined by Scotty Miller easily. And I'm not even saying Scotty Miller is a legit three third wide receiver, but he's doing better, and Brashad is. But then you have this kid who's 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 not only battling, not only putting in extra time to get ready, and, and I don't know that he's the only one, but you know he's he's putting in extra time to get ready, and he's showing improvement, like marked improvement, not just yeah, we were proud he made a play or two. This dude has more passes <laughs> broken up this year. Then any cornerback on your roster did all last year. I know this coach staff wasn't here last year, but that dude, you reward by putting him on a sideline. I don't know, man. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't compute like what, what they're saying and what they're doing don't make sense to me. That's the frustrating part to me. Um, but as far as, you know, need a communicator in the secondary, you absolutely need a communicator in the secondary and they don't have one that we we knew they were going to have one coming into the season because, Vernon Hargraves ain't it, and everybody else doesn't have the experience to be barking at other people telling them where to be. Um, so, yeah, look, we look for the Buccaneers to sign a veteran. Um, if they don't, then yeah, have fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I disagreed with the fact that Jamal Dean didn't play. However, I will say this Jamal Dean played great against Cardinals, and I understand people are going crazy over the PFF grades and all that. I, I've said my piece on, on their grading system. It's, they just kind of roll 3 dice and then put the 3 numbers together and that's how they come up with their grades because there's no rhyme or reason to it anyway nobody's talking about how bad he was the week before so my my stance is would I have liked to see Dean out on the field to continue to grow off of what he did against Arizona absolutely do I trust the coach's decision to maybe not throw him out there based off of what they have in totality versus overreacting to just one week. Yeah, if they decided that the scheme that they were running to try and slow down or stop the Saints made him the weakest link of the cornerback group, I I will trust that because... We're not talking about Richard Sherman. We're not talking about Deion Sanders. We're not talking about Jalen Ramsey. We're talking about Jamel Dean. Like in the end, would Jamel Dean being out there have affected the game to the point that the Buccaneers would have won? There's no telling, but I'm going to lean. Yeah, probably not because As you pointed out yesterday, this wasn't on the defense. The defense held the Saints to under 30 points. It was the offense that failed the team. So I I don't really see him being that big of a difference maker. Again, I would have liked to have seen him out there. I do think he's a better corner right now than Sean Murphy Bunting but I don't know as much as the coaches. I'm not at practice every day. I'm not in the film room. I'm not the one creating the scheme and knowing all of my players' strengths and weaknesses inside and out. Like, that's that's not my job. My job is to talk about the team and write about the team and and analyze from what I do know. So I'm not going to freak out and, and overreact to the situation because pro football focus had him graded high. like. Whatever. What was his grade against Seattle? Somebody dig up what Jamel Dean's grade from pro football focus was against
1: Seattle. Negative 10.
0: Exactly.
1: Well, and and don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want, I'm not saying Jamel Dean should be out there for 70 plus snaps, but when you talk about your defense, right, we talked about this yesterday. The defense is on the field for 87% of the first quarter, right? Uh, they were on the field for 13 minutes when Jameis when when O.J. Howard gave away that interception. That Ted Ginn, was it Ted Ginn or Michael Thomas? I can't remember. That 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 pass, that touchdown over the middle, when you have a defense that gassed, like I'm looking also at Darian Stewart, like a tired Sean Murphy Bunting, a tired Mike Edwards, a tired Carlton Davis, like Jamel Dean can come in there and add some value in that situation, even if it's only for a play or two, even if it's only four, you know, okay, we're inside the 10. Jamel, get in there and be physical and be long because that's what you are and that's what we need you to be. Like, you don't want him out there in zone when you're talking about, you know, 70 yards between you, your defense, and the end zone because he's a liability in open space. Got it. But you're in the 10. You're inside the 10. Like, if if you're inside the 10 and you're giving Drew Brees zones with basically a pass rush that's not getting home, almost ever. I mean, they had one sack on the day and it was on Taysom Hill. So uh Drew Brees might have been the cleanest quarterback to leave Raymond James Stadium in quite some time. Putting Jamel Dean in that situation adds some value. And that was kind of the confusing thing. Like when they came in this game, they had four active, healthy defensive backs and it was like or cornerbacks. And it's like, whoa. Like you definitely like they're basically living or dying based off of those three three corners, uh, Mike Edwards included in there. And that was good. That was it. And that kind of talks about the other thing, which I'm not going to get into because we have one last voicemail I want to hit. I know we're way over time, but uh, I don't really care about that right now. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll bring up that point in that conversation. But, you know, again, it's not, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to get it twisted. I'm not saying like Jamel Dean should have been starting and right, he should have right, played right. 70 reps and da 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 you But you, you, you take – again, you take a guy who got completely roasted. Like there were people wondering if this kid was ever going to play football effectively again. And not only did he play football effectively again, he did it the very next week. I, and yes, it's the Arizona Cardinals, but it's still an NFL competition. It's still a huge game in front of his home crowd. You can't tell me that kid wasn't nervous. And he showed up for you. And, and again, your reward is zero defensive snaps. Like, find a position. Find a situation to show that kid that, hey, Jamel, you are part of our game plan. You are part of what is going to make us successful. Because what you just told him is, as long as it's the Arizona Cardinals, we're willing to put you out there. When it's a good team, eh, cover punts. You're Ryan Smith Jr. Ryan Smith light, as you would put it.
0: Um, yeah, I, I do feel that there's a middle ground there. It, yeah. And he he earned some snaps on on yeah. Sunday and he didn't get them. However, my my rant was targeted more towards that that Twitter crowd that is leaning so heavily on that grade and that one game as saying you know he should have been you know out there 100% of snaps and and you know the 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 coaching staff lost on purpose because Jamel Dean wasn't on the field like get out of here with that the guy had one really really impressive game but that was coming off of one of the least impressive games I've ever seen like I was I was out there calling him the second coming of EJ Biggers he was so bad against Seattle so let's all let's all take a step back and just kind of you know use use some use some common sense and, and just say you know what we want to see more out of the kid because we've seen the highs and we've seen the lows you know he needs more work but he's not the second coming. He's not the secondary savior here. Okay, just kind of take a step back and realize that one game does not a career make. Yeah. So, but anyway, David, let's go ahead and jump over to that last voicemail since yeah, we are uh, we are so way over on time.
4: Hey guys, uh, Joe from Ocala. Man, it's frustrating. You know, of course everybody's frustrated. Um, not sure what's going on with OJ Howard. You know, can't beat the Saints and the refs at the same time. Play calling again is an issue for me. Uh, my question, though, this week is: we've been hearing a lot of Bruce saying in his pressers that um, practice is really well, and it's not going to the game on Sunday. Well, what's your guys' opinion on this? Is it we're the second youngest team in the NFL, and these guys don't know how to prepare? Uh, they're not taking it serious enough. You know, Jamel Bean Where was Jamel Bean yesterday? The guy puts in extra work. It's an iron team. He's not even on the field. I don't know if that's because they were in zone the whole time most of the time. But yeah, I know Carlton Davis was the type But I mean, I don't know. It, I figured you'd want him on the field to get him more rest. Um, probably. Uh, like I'm you know, getting off track here. Um, you know what 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 do you guys think is going on why this isn't transferring from you know they said this was the best week of practice we've had all year and it's not showing up on Sunday and I just would like to hear what, what you guys think about that I just don't understand it Go but you know I'm always rooting for him so uh we look forward to we'll see what you guys have to say to
0: I forgot the first part of his question All right thank you very much for the call and you know age age might play a part in it and yeah, these are these are professional athletes. These are guys that have put on pads and helmets basically since they were you know six seven years old. That doesn't mean that when you set foot on an NFL field, you don't get nervous. You don't feel pressure, and I think with every loss, that pressure just mounts and mounts and mounts. This is a this is a team that had a two-time coach of the year, come out of retirement to come coach them, talking about how talented they were, talking about the changes he was going to make, talking about his belief in Jameis Winston. So the pressure started to build back in January. Then you go through free agency. You get rid of Gerald McCoy, a longtime staple, a captain of this team, a pillar in the community. You replace him with Indomitian Sue. More pressure, more pressure, more pressure. Then you start off the season with a tough loss. Then you bounce back and you win. Then a tough loss. Then you crush the defending NFC champions. And now all of a sudden, it's a loss and a loss and a loss and a loss. And that pressure just builds and builds and builds. And I think the youth and the inexperience from the aspect of being part of winning teams knowing how to finish games from experience. It's all weighing so heavy on them. Yeah, they go out there and they have great practices and they know what they're supposed to do and they know their assignments and they can execute it. But then there's a three-point deficit. Okay, battle back and tight. Now there's a seven-point deficit and there's the pressure and they just keep crumbling. Jameis most of all. It's. I, I think it's basically like a snowball effect with this team that there's pressure to make the new coach look good. There's pressure to make the GM and his decisions look good. There's pressure to support your quarterback in a contract year. There's. It's everywhere. It's pressure to live up to your own contract. It's pressure to live up to the billing of a first-round draft pick. And it's just all falling apart and there's nobody there to pick up the pieces. Yeah, you know, the the one the one guy David that we've talked about, the one the one truth we know about this team is that there is one player and only one that shows up on Sundays every single week and you can't find a mistake that he makes. And that's Levante David. He is the best player that this franchise has had in 10 years. He is the most consistent. He is the epitome of the Bill Belichick uh, mantra. He does his job Mm -hmm. and he does it at an elite level, but that's it. You can't, you can't have one guy picking up 52 others because they're all crumbling. It takes the collective and they just don't have that experience. They don't have that maturity. They they just don't have it. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is, but that's what that's how I view it. Yeah.
1: So I think part of the problem with practices going well and games not going well is things can't go wrong in practice. Like if you have a bad practice, you just have a bunch of dudes out there not playing football because as a team, you control everything that happens in practice. Like you control the script, you control what you're working on, you control what you're installing. Like you tell your quarterback, "Hey, we expect the Saints to come in with too high coverage and running blitzes off the weak side of the formation. So here's what we're going to do to attack that. So when Jameis Winston lines up, you tell him to run this play. Guess what he's looking for? Too high coverage and a blitz coming off the weak side. Guess what he's going to get? Too high coverage and a blitz coming off the weak side. And guess what happens? He beats it. You know why? Because he knew it was coming. His offensive line knew it was coming. His receivers knew it was coming, and he can't get hit. Yeah, that, that's that's the kind of the biggest. And when you talk about problems in the trenches, like with with this team, you know the offensive line hasn't looked bad every single game, but they've looked really bad in some games. The secondary hasn't looked really bad in every single game, but they've looked bad in a lot of games. There, and part of the problem is part of the reason that is that practices so well, but the games aren't, is because of the rules that go into practicing, like. They're not duking it out in the trenches with Cam Jordan at practice. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. Like, and Dom Sue might be out there trying to do his best Cam Jordan impression, but he's he's not Cam Jordan. And so those things happen. Uh, one of the, one of the the broadcasters on Fox said it during the game that the Saints' defensive front was was firing off on every single snap, and the Bucks' offensive line looked l- slow, lethargic. Like I don't, you know what I mean? I, like they just didn't look motivated. To be honest with you. And what what I've seen, what what I've come to realize, right, is that the roster is a resilient roster. Like this team is going to show up to work on Wednesday, ready to practice, ready to install for the Atlanta Falcons, ready to get ready to play. They're going to be smiling. They're going to say on to the next game. We're going to get better. Let's do this. The team is not resilient on Sunday. When, when this team hits the field, they have a plan. And we've heard them say it over and over again. We're worried about what we're doing. They come into a game saying, this is what we're going to do against this opponent. When it works, it's great. Look at the Rams game. When it doesn't work, this team is not resilient. When it doesn't work, this team doesn't know what to do. Even when you're down 20 to nothing in the first half, you cannot just abandon your running game just completely. That is ridiculous. You want to know why your receivers can't get separation? You want to know why your quarterback is getting a full on assault? Because the defense knows you're not running the ball. Because you panicked and you went into complete throw the ball mode. Like, you're like the 13 year old people love playing on Madden because as soon as I get a lead, all I got to do is, is play off and pass rush, and I know I got you. Like, you can't do that. And they did it. And that's what this, 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 I don't know if it's Byron, I don't know, you know. Whatever the problem is, that's basically what's happened is every time this team comes out and says, crap, what we wanted to do didn't work. All right. Full, full direction the other way. Let's do something crazy. That's pretty much what they do, man. Um, that's that's what we've seen. That's why you don't see a lot of fight back. Like when when this team gets a fight, they don't get a lot of they don't have a lot of fight back. Arizona was like the first time you really saw fight back from this team. But let's all be honest here. Arizona. Again, like I said during the recap episode, like we were sitting in the press box saying, who wants, like, nobody wants to win this game. Arizona was making as many mistakes to shoot themselves in the foot as the Buccaneers were in that game. So, and honestly, I kind of wonder, I kind of think that the worst thing that happened to this team, honestly, was beating the Rams. Because when you beat the Rams in Los Angeles, because they were still the Rams that everybody knew, they were still that that Rams team. So when this team beat that Rams team in Los Angeles, what I feel like happened to this coaching staff is they said, we got it, we have the formula. The players just got to put it together. And so week in, week out, what we've seen is this coaches have come in and saying, Here, guys, here's the formula. Go put it together. And when the players go out there and say, Coach, it ain't coming together, they say, No, go do it better. Like that's your solution. That's your adjustment. Hey guys, here's how we're gonna adjust our game plan. Do the game plan we said before, but do it better. Team on three. One, two, three, team, go. That's not that's not adjusting. You know what I mean? There's no contingency plan. Like, if you come into this game and say, okay, guys, we're going to hit this team with perimeter runs, screen passes, and some deep shots. We come into the game. The perimeter runs ain't working. They're stuffing out the, the screen pass, and our deep shots aren't getting there because the quarterback's under assault. What's the contingency, contingency plan? What's the backup? How are we going to change things to help our team? There isn't one. There isn't one. What we saw yesterday was, or what we saw on Sunday was, deep pass isn't working. So here's what we're going to do, guys. More deep passes, but do it better. <laughs> and then they hit Scotty Miller for a 48-yard bomb, and they say, there you go. That's what we want you to do. Keep doing that. Okay. It worked once. It worked twice. The other part of this, of this is, you, you said exactly, James, is there are certain members of this team that are trying, and that's the problem. I had a, a leader once early in my career tell me, don't try to do things. Just do them. And that, that kind of resonated with me. Because what you see, Mike Evans, when he drops that third and sixth pass wide open, it's because he's trying to turn that pass into a big play. Stop trying and just do it. O.J. Howard, the reason he tipped that ball to a San Francisco 49ers defender is because he was trying to turn up field with that ball and score a touchdown. Stop trying. Just do what you need to do. O.J. Howard yesterday, the reason he Harlem Globe trotted that ball straight into the arms of a Saints defender is because he was trying to turn that play into a bigger play. They're not doing the basics. We talk Again, we talk about accountability. This is why the Jamel Dean thing frustrates me as much as it does. We talk about accountability. You've got guys on the field who consistently don't do the little things that matter, and it results in big things for the opponent. And I'm not saying bench Mike Evans, okay? like Mike Evans, all the reps he's got, all the receptions he's got, all the yards he's got, he's got a few mistakes this season. But I still sit here and say it's hard when you're a captain of a football team to look at a player like Ryan Jensen and say, dude, what are you doing? Where's your head? When you drop the third and six pass wide open with 10 yards in front of you, it's hard to do that. Now, kudos to Mike because he still did it. You know what I mean? So and he should do it. I'm not saying he shouldn't. I'm just saying when you do that and Ryan Jensen looks back at you and says, hey, Mike, remember the 36 third and six ball you dropped? What about that? Well, you kind of lose a little bit of credibility, but he's still out there doing it. And Mike Evans is still out there kicking butt. But when you're O.J. Howard, I don't don't want to rehash the whole thing, but O.J. Howard is playing 70 percent, 80 percent of offensive snaps. Jamel Dean's getting none Uh, over the last three weeks. I'm sorry, but Jamel Dean deserves to be on the field more than O.J. Howard does. Um, But anyway, so so those are the reasons why, because one, practice is practice. I don't think I've ever heard of a coach. Come out and say we had a terrible week of practice. We're going to lose this game. I just, I just don't because you control practice. Two is the nature of practice. You can't come out here and punch each other in the mouth and see what happens when you punch each other in the mouth. Uh, and and three is this coaching staff so far to me has not looked like a coaching staff that is able to say, "Crap, what we planned on isn't working, guys." Flip to Plan B. I don't think they have a Plan B, honestly. And then the other part is there's players on this field, like you said, James. They're pressing. They're trying. They're coming out and, my, and and they're saying, I'm going to turn this and do a huge play for my team because we need it. No, what the team needs you to do is the little things. Take your hot route. Run your stinking hot route. If you have a five-yard five yard in, run five yards, cut in. If you have a ball coming to you, watch it hit the hands, grab it, tuck it, then run. Those are the things that this team needs to have happen. Those are the things that aren't happening. That's why they're losing.
0: You, you know after that I got to drop a Star Wars quote on you, right? Sure. And a lot of our listeners know where this is going, and and even you who hasn't seen this movie yet, even though you have seen episode four, and I'm very proud of you for that.
1: I have seen episode four,
0: but this is from episode five. But you I know, the haven't quote. Seen. Do or do not.
1: There is no try. Shout out Yoda. I do not know that quote, but it makes sense. Really? Yeah.
0: I thought that was like just as well known as the "No, I am your father." Like I thought that was just something that even if you don't watch oh, Star Luke, Wars i am yeah. your father No no the actual line is no i am your father Oh okay That's one well, of the most misquoted uh movie lines ever There there's a couple other ones. I saw a list one time but yeah uh no he 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 doesn't say Luke he says no
1: Well and you just tarnished my squad leader's wisdom because maybe he was just misquoting a Star Wars movie now But anyway uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's still good advice, either way. it's still yeah, good advice, absolutely
0: all right well david this is where this is where we wrap it up, and usually I go through and I do all the let's promote ourselves, all that you guys know all that you listen to us if you don't remember it, go back to the beginning of the episode, but we're already way over on time, but there there's something important that that popped up that David and I are going to address um good friend of ours uh in fact he is a big reason why i am where i am uh alan Schechter, who david and i worked with at the pewter plank i actually worked with with alan before that um i've been doing this about six years uh and i was working for an upstart NFL website, and they had promoted me to some position, a VP of, of something. I had no idea what I was doing. I got hired by this website three months after I started writing. Uh, I was still very raw, and they promoted me to a position that I flat out couldn't handle. But what I could handle was uh, the managing editor. I was the one making sure guys were doing their assignments. I was part of the, the brain trust where Myself and uh, Andrew and Vince and then Alan, we would get on conference calls every week, plot out the week, everything. You know, we we work together, and then I would edit other guys' stuff. Um, they they hired Alan on to take over the position that I flat out couldn't handle, and Alan had come from FanSided. And at first, I was like, "Who's this dude? Always talking about you know, well, at FanSided we did this, at FanSided we did this, at FanSided we did this." It's like. Really? I mean, is he really doing that much more than than I was? And from there, uh, I realized how much he really did do and and how great he was at what he did. And Alan and I became really good friends. And I, I stepped away from writing for a little bit, had a lot going on personally and with my job. And I started getting messages. David, I was getting two, three messages a day. Every day for like three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, and it was Alan, and he had become the the expert of the pewter plank over at fansided, and he wanted me to come join him and I kept saying, "I don't know if I have the time, I'm trying to get this new job. If I get this new job, I'll join you. I'll have more time. I can dedicate to it, but if i if I stay where I am doing the chef stuff, I, I just I can't commit to it as much as I would love to come help you." planets stars aligned all that i was able to join Peter plank and david that's where that's where you and i met and yeah. um Yeah, you know, so the three of us worked together bailey bailey was with us we all worked together there for quite a while before uh alan moved on uh he went to go right for for empire rights back but if it wasn't for alan david you had said that that him bringing me on is what kept you with the pewter plank because you weren't happy there um you know and and it had it not been for for Alan I wouldn't have gotten back into it you and I never meet the this podcast doesn't happen um, you know our previous podcast doesn't happen we're not it we're not at Bucks Nation um, you know going to the scouting combine going to games going to cover Chris Godwin uh, charity events and a big part of that is Alan and unfortunately um, Alan, Alan passed away today. So you know I wanted to share to share my side because I, I love that man dearly and uh I'm gonna miss him.
1: Yeah, um, <clears throat> um...
0: <laughs> crap. Take your time, buddy.
1: Um, yeah, so, uh, I've been in the army for almost 20 years and for pretty much all of it, uh, we've been involved in some sort of combat conflict or another. And so death and loss is not new to, to me specifically and to many of us just in general, because unfortunately that's what life is, but I can tell you that. Uh, in In my life i've come to learn that while there are a lot of people who will you know smile to your face, shake your hand uh, have a conversation with you, so on and so forth, there are really very few people in this world who genuinely care about your well being your success, your happiness uh, either in line with their own or above their own and when I first decided to start writing about football um as as a football fan, you know, before jumping into any media role, um, the Buccaneers were my my favorite NFL team. You know, as a fan, and I was very fortunate that when I put myself out there to start trying to write, that I happened to be approached by someone who had an opening to cover uh, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and and I met two guys that very much like I still we still talk every Sunday every time there's a game on we still talk the two of us we have a group chat on Twitter or the three of us and we still talk every weekend to this day. Um, and they mean, you know, a lot to me. Those are two guys that are some of those genuine people. And when I left the site that I worked at with them, the timing was just right. Um, first of all, just the the ultimate, just the flattery of Fansite. Like Fansite had contacted me and said, "Hey, we've seen what you, you're doing. We need somebody over here to cover the Bucks for Fansite. We want you to come over." And I was I was flattered. I was humbled. Like it was it was something that I'd never expected. And Mike uh, was getting ready to graduate. So he was getting ready to – so he had gotten a full-time position. So he was getting ready to work for a newspaper. Gabe was kind of in the same boat. And now they're both doing great things. Mike is married. Gabe is covering the Atlanta Braves as a beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So the timing was right. Like all three of us essentially left at the same time. I went to Fansided. And I can't remember how long I was there at Fansided. And you know, the the two or three guys that came before Alan, like they weren't bad dudes. You know what I mean? I think they were just – I had gotten offered that position and I told the guys at fans, I said, listen, uh, I'm so flattered about, about what you're asking me to do, but I cannot commit that much time. And I honestly don't think I have the experience right now to do what you're asking me to do for you. I'm more than happy to come over as a writer. And that's what I did. I came over as a writer. They hired a couple other guys to do what Alan eventually ended up doing. And again, I don't think they're bad guys, but it was, it was was they weren't ready for it either. And they weren't capable of doing it to the level that it needed to be done. And I was, I was very close to, um, I had started writing on the side for another website that allowed me to write about any team, any story, any game that I wanted to every single day, whenever I wanted to, it was great. And I had thought very hard about leaving fan site and going to this other and just going to this other site full time, uh, because of what was going on when Alan came in and when Alan came in, you know, uh, he was a Jets guy and I'm not gonna lie, my first reaction was like, okay. So this is a dude that fanside basically is like, hey, let's plug this hole real quick. And you know, having dealt with some leaders in the past who were kind of, you know, hole pluggers, I was like, this is gonna be a great experience. And much to my surprise, it was. It was an absolutely amazing experience. And like you said, he brought you in. Um, the the things that I've learned from Alan, the things I learned from the time that you and Alan were there. And, and just moving forward, I can't possibly start to make a list of all the things that I've learned um, from that time period. And then, like you said, he got an opportunity to go back to writing about the Jets, uh, all of New York sports. But, you know, the Jets was his love. And you and then, you know, you and him both recommended me by name to take Allen's place. And that's not something I could ever do. Like, you can't take Allen's place. But I was honored and I was humbled again to 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 think that you two both had that that confidence in me. So I stepped up and I did the best job I could do, you know, with guys like Bailey and guys like Zach who had a great staff. So it was it definitely made my life a lot easier at that point. But that staff was built by Alan them and by you. And even after he left, like he's he's one of those guys. You know what I mean? He was he was one of those guys that genuinely, I mean, he would just I I would get random messages on occasions like, hey, caught the show. You guys are awesome. Hey, read this. What a great piece. Um, he came on the show a couple of times and it was always great. Uh to hear his voice. Yeah. Um, he's one of the good ones, man. And like you said, we got this news uh in the middle of this recording. And um but we know Alan and <laughs> Alan loved football and Alan loved us. We love him and he would not want us to stop. So we're not going to stop. He wouldn't want a moment of silence because this dude lived his life to the max. He knew he was sick. This (laughs) isn't news. This isn't, it's not so much, you know, like, like I can't get into all the details, but I mean, it's not so much a shock. It's just, it's too soon. Um, and, but he, he took every single day, uh, and made it the best that he could with his, his amazing wife, Stacy. and, So we're not going to go out that way because he wouldn't want us to. And we're going to do it for him. And I can't believe I'm crying on air. And it's great. (laughs) I Uh, am too, buddy. I am. But yeah, um, just one of the good ones, man.
0: Yeah. I, I can hear him yelling at us now. Like you're wasting time on your show talking about me. Like, come on, talk football. Like that's, that's just Alan, man. That's how he was. And, and, one of the last times he and I really, really talked a lot. He was so excited. His nephew, um, as you said, Alan's a Jets fan. Um, his nephew's a Giants fan. And he had taken his his nephew to Giants training camp so that he could see Odell Beckham and, and all that. But he texted me uh, and he goes, you won't believe what happened today. And I was just like, all right, what what's going on, buddy? And he texted me a picture of his nephew wearing a Jamal Adams jersey. And he could not be more excited to have his Giants loving nephew rocking a Jets jersey. Um and it was just absolutely fantastic. And yeah, he um he absolutely was one of the good ones. And and as much as uh as much as we used to give him a hard time and and we would drop Tebow references in our episodes just for him um you know because he knew if we were talking Tebo we were talking to him and and we did it out of love and and uh yeah it's um it's tough but it, at the end of the day um you know i i thank him i thank him for getting me back into this i thank him for creating um what i feel is an amazing friendship david with you Um because without him without him driving me nuts and and getting me to join him over at the pewter plank, like I said, none of none of this happens. You know, maybe you know, maybe you're you're podcasting or 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 writing for, for someone else or whatever the case may be, but yeah, I was I was done. And uh and Alan convinced me that that I couldn't I couldn't hang it up. He wasn't gonna let me. So uh again, um yeah alan uh alan we love you buddy stacy we're thinking of you and uh david i think that's going to do it for this episode yeah so all right hope you all have a have a fantastic day keep keep alan and stacy in your thoughts today for if nothing else do it for us do it for bailey um do it for those that, that knew alan and and loved him as much as uh as much as we do and we thank you all for joining us right here at locked on bucks